a, it's another psychology thing called savoring. And what the science will tell us too is that when we share something positive or good with somebody else, our mind will savor that win again, like we just got it. And so like for Jeff, and Jeff in the example with your dad, like if your dad came home and shared a great pitching performance you had, right, he will feel that win actually twice. Oh, wow. So it's oh, really important great. to share that. And so as part of your, uh, you know, company's culture and all that is, is sharing these wins because it helps people feel the win again, which gains momentum, which propels people to, again, seek more pleasure, avoid the pain. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back here today with podcast episode number 52. Our special guest is Ryan Bennett, and the title of today's program is The Intentional Day, Strategies for Intentionally Growing Your Business and Your Life. Ryan is a high-performance coach, he's an author and a speaker, and he guides people to reach their full potential in their lives, their businesses, and their teams through what he calls his proven method of intentional growth. He's written a book called The Intentional Day, and he's developed a formula for growth called the Intentional Growth Model that he learned from a startup failure early in his career. Get ready to hear some new ideas on something we all struggle with, which is goals, not just setting them, but actually achieving them. Ryan has some very specific and tactical approaches you can make to help you amp up your goal achievement success from 8% to 95%. So get ready to achieve those goals. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Craig and I are back here for the Impact Leadership Podcast. We have another really interesting guest. Ryan Bennett is coming to us from Kansas City, Missouri. And Ryan is a high-performance coach. He's an author. He's a speaker. And he helps people reach their full potential. He's got a really interesting book title and concept you're going to hear about today. And his company is called The Intentional Day. Think about that. The Intentional Day. Ryan has already had a really interesting background. We'll hear more. You know, he was an All-American, academic All-American in college, played college baseball, turned that competitive spirit into his business. And here's what I love. On his website, he puts it right out there. He failed in business. Hey, man, join the club. Join the yep. club. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what business owners do. They fail and learn, fail and learn, and then they get it right. He also founded a tech startup that has since become a venture-backed brand with Fortune 500 clients. So Ryan brings a wide range of topics to us today, and we're excited to learn more about Ryan and how he can help all of you grow and lead fuller lives. So welcome, Ryan. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeff and Craig. I really appreciate the opportunity here. Yeah. So, so Ryan, give us a little bit of the backstory on Ryan Bennett. <laughs> well, you did such a wonderful job introducing me. Um, 
that's really, I mean, it really comes down to my journey to where I'm at today really comes down to my, my college baseball playing days and just the ability to learn on the fly. You know, baseball is a sport where if you fail, um, it is normal. And actually people who fail two out of three times are in the hall of fame. And so (laughs) understanding how to regroup and how to get better and how to improve each at bat is really important Mm. to assess at baseball. And it took me, gosh, probably four or five years until I could tie those pieces together in the puzzle to my professional life. Hmm. And it wasn't until that moment, like you said, a, a failed business has caused me to reflect on that experience, realize what I did wrong and realize, wait a minute, the same exact approach I took to baseball through the mindset and the disciplines and the momentum building of wins needs to actually apply to professional world too. And so anyways, that's like a, a little bit more context into the bio that you read about me. So Ryan, I have to jump right into a question that even if we're ahead of the game, it's okay. So over the years, in fact, I've thought so much, you know, I played baseball as well, grew up in a baseball family, my dad played, and I've always thought about the mental part of the game. And a couple of years ago, I was at a, a conference or a workshop being put on by some of the leadership team of one of the major league teams. It was actually a Cleveland Indians. And it was the team psychologist was there. <laughs> and he got up in front of this room of other coaches. And he said, when we're, he said, when we're working with players, what do you think is the number one thing we work on with them at any given point in time? And it's something that's in its part of the mindset. And I immediately thought I knew the answer. No one, everybody talked about skills and all this. And he said, I raised my hand and I said, breathing. He said, that's exactly right. It's about breathing because we work with them on breathing in order to get them into the present. Because the problem with baseball is there are failures, but if I carry that failure with me other than to learn from it, now it's a distraction because I'm trying to learn instead of being in the moment. So how has that in any way showed up in what you do with your clients, you've done in your businesses, that piece of the baseball mindset? Wow. I love hearing that story. I haven't heard that before about breathing. I, I know how important it is, but that's a fascinating story. Um, to answer your question, to be in the present, meaning to to sit in the exact moment where you're at so you're able to reflect on what happened. So if you're so present-oriented, you're so living in the behind, living in the back, in the past, it's really a sign of emotional intelligence. Can you actually get to the spot where you're at right now, reflect on what you did well, what you didn't do well and what you're going to learn for next Mm. time and make that bridge to change and make that iteration and keep on going. Because if you're so far in the future and you're a dreamer, that's good, but you got to reflect because you got to have improvement. And if you sit in the past, right, you sit on a failure or your, your self-esteem is hit because you had a bad podcast interview or whatever for this example, until you're able to sit in the present moment, reflect, you know, using emotional intelligence schools, reflect on what happened and then move out from there, you're not really going to grow much. Hmm. Well, I, I love that, Ryan. And you talked about so many things you brought from baseball. And the big one you talked about is baseball is a game of failure. In fact, it's a game of high failure. And, and low, you know, minimal comparative success is great success in baseball. What are some of the other things you brought from your baseball experience, mindset, competitiveness that you brought into the business world and now you're coaching? Yeah, I think, I think what is undervalued in baseball is, is teamwork and the idea of that locker room 
and how you're a band of brothers that are doing stuff together and that it's okay to have conflict, but it doesn't leave the locker room. It's okay mm. to disagree. And it's okay because when you go, when you take the field, you guys are one team working towards one goal, but there's 30 men in a locker room who are college age kids. Of course, there's going to be conflict, but ability to work through that. So that's like one of them is, is, is the ability that working as a team, you know, I find a day that so many people are all about, just my, I'm an individual contributor. What am I doing? What am I going to get to the next level? Where am I going to get my leadership roles? And it's like, wow, like, wh- why are we focused on that as a business? <laughs> we need to be working together. And yet we're giving bonuses and giving, you know, um, title changes to people who are individual contributors. It's, it's sort of a weird dynamic. So that's one of them is teamwork and obviously competitiveness. Uh, I lo- I'm a competitor. I love it. But again, it's like the, the positive sign of con- competitiveness, which is like we're trying to win or lose together, not me versus you. I'm not trying to have a better at bat than my second baseman. I'm trying for us to win and beat them. And so I think that's another piece of it. We're not, we're not looking next to the guy sitting in the booth next to me. Well, it's, it's almost the like competitors playing, doing. It's almost like playing golf, though, isn't it? You're, you're trying to better your own score you know, as you're playing the game and you know, as you're working with your team – you know, trying to get that. But when you look at the, the other situation where you talk about, you know, the people who are the individual contributors, they're getting advancements or raises or, you know, different title changes, whatever. It seems like that would come out if they don't feel safe. Like it, if they don't feel like the company is taking care of them and is looking out for their growth, then they're going to have to look out for their own self. What do you, what do you I'm actually interested in hearing what you guys have to say about it. You're a little bit your pulse is probably on it better than I am. So Jeff or Craig, what, like, what do you think about that? Well, I think my view is there's a couple factors. One is that uh, to Craig's point, if individuals don't feel like they're part of something and therefore, in other words, like for example, you look at baseball as a team sport and Craig, there's actually, a, there's a little bit of a difference between golf because golf's an individual sport yeah. that's played in isolation And then there's a collective collective team score. But in baseball, for example, there are times that a player, for example, is going up to bat and they literally are told to sacrifice themselves. Mm. Sometimes formally they're going to sacrifice bunt to make the team win or they're going to do something. But a lot of times they don't get credit for that. But they're Mm. going to say, we just want you to hit a ground ball to the right side and get this person over. The most important thing is to move this player over. So they are sacrificing their individual statistics now is but in truth that's an individual great performance (laughs) that's what the team needed so there's that piece uh and so i think uh, ryan if companies don't have that kind of sense of belonging and when people don't feel a trusted environment they start to protect themselves and the best way to protect yourself as a company is to just perform Because especially if the leaders have said and shown, that's what you're going to get rewarded for. I think a lot of this gets created by the leaders who are saying, why aren't we working together? I said, well, it's your fault, dude. <laughs> you created well, but so, so I think part of the question there with Jeff was um, when, when they are trying to get additional credit, is it because they don't feel safe? You know, they, they want that extra thing. They're looking out for themselves because they might feel like nobody else is. Do you, you get that sense? I don't. Well, I think so. I guess I'd have to get inside their heads as to what's driving <laughs> them. Because, <laughs> because there's a lot of people in organizations who don't feel safe who underperform. 
Yeah. But that's why I'm sure that I'm not sure that high performance is tied to the someone who doesn't feel safe Hmm. in the environment because there's a lot of people who are just going to they're going to perform enough because to to high perform, you typically have to take risk. High performers usually have to take risk. And I'm not going to take a risk because I don't know how it's going to turn out if I don't, you know, if I don't hit 600 in this game versus 300. So instead, I'm going to play it safe and I'm going to do the minimum. And just enough, and I'm going to just hide here. Because yeah. there's a hiding. I think hiding happens more often in an untrust, unsafe environment than does extremely high performance. And typically, yeah. the high performers in that environment are not really team players. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, so Ryan, start, start to take say, it off What are you guys here? doing? Catch up. <laughs> Catch up. Why aren't you guys like me? Yeah. Now, this is a conversation I love. I love that this is – I think it's a piece of it too. You know, when my background has been startups and so there's really nowhere to hide. You, you, can't, right. you can't hide. And, and I actually like that because there is that built-in teamwork, that built-in locker room where you can't hide to, to your neighbor. You know, I want to perform better because I'm trying to help us win. And that's right. just the mindset that I have and I like it. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think it all comes down like Jeff, you, you teach this, I believe, but it's like about culture and it's all set from the top and set from the leadership. And is what do you incentivize? What do you develop? What do you cultivate? And that's, I mean, that's intentional leadership, obviously. And so how does that happen is, I think that's the broader probably podcast that we could could record for hours on culture. Oh, yeah. Well, Ryan, you have an interesting path because you started a company. You failed. Not unusual at all. And then you start, you were part of another startup team that seems to be a really huge success. And my question is, it could be a different market, different product, all sorts of changes. But my real question is, how were you different mm. in the second one than in the first one? And how did that difference contribute to the success? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I was, I think I'm maybe 180 degrees different uh, from that failure. I mean, coming out of college and having success and moving to Silicon Valley where the height of startups is at, you know, I, I look back and I realize how naive and arrogant I really was. <laughs> and I needed a big old piece of pie and I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, at age 27, I had to let go of my entire team. I had to move back to my parents' basement on fumes, lost every penny I ever owned oh. and barely made it back. And, you know, I'm now at 27. My friends are starting to get married. They're starting to get promotions. And here I am. I have nothing. I have no idea what I want to do other than that I'm now classified as a failure. And wow. that was a hard spot for me uh, emotionally that I had to work through because it, just because my business failed doesn't mean I personally am a failure as a person. Right. Right? There's a whole, it's a whole thread in there. But I had to come out from that. And, that. and that moment is really where I had that aha that's, that was the focus of, wait a minute, why did I not have that business success? Um, I was very different than I was when I was playing college baseball. College baseball, I was a teammate. I was focused on little things every single day. I knew how to win the game because I knew what I needed to do each day to win. Mm-hmm. And in the business world, there were just so much. I think I was overwhelmed and yeah. I just wasn't ready for that responsibility. And that's what led to my failure. And so as I realized all this and I started to develop my growth formula, which, which I've coined the intentional growth model. It provided a path for me to start learning some of this stuff, start having awareness and start to actually put some stuff into practice. Hmm. And around that same time is when I got approached to join another startup and be a founding team member. And Hmm. I was like jazz because I get now get back in the game again. So my competitive itch is ready to go one. (laughs) And two, I probably need a paycheck. Like I had no money. (laughs) 
Um, and then I also get to apply, I get to apply, I, ha I have success on the field through different mindset and, and tactics. And then now I had a business failure that I, that I didn't do what I wanted to do. And so now I get another chance at it. So I took all nice. that approach and I took my formula approach to the business and applied it both professionally and for myself. And, and, you know, over seven years, we raised millions of dollars of venture capital. And like you said, have fortune 500 clients using our product every day. So it, it worked out. And so I kind of, that was a big moment for me. Well, let's, awesome. let's not kid anybody that's listening, though. You didn't really take the traditional route, even with the second business. You talked about a paycheck, but you took a paycheck from a startup. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of like, that. yeah, it's oh. a check. It's a check. But you're never sure which one's going to actually just catch on fire in your hands. So, <laughs> or whether it's a little rubbery. I, yeah. I think I've missed more paychecks than I've gotten paid in my life. I'm going to be honest with you oh. on that. Oh. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk that about, leads me to where I'm at. So I was happy with that. Well, exactly. So let's talk about, you talked about the intentional growth model. Tell us more about what is the intentional growth model. And I know at some point, some element of that feeds into your approach and mindset around goals as well. Yeah. So the intentional growth model or formula is really basic, um, but it's powerful. So it's knowledge plus discipline equals growth. And so knowledge is, you know, what you guys think about, right? We learn this in classrooms. You learn this in textbooks, um, this, but knowledge could also be awareness, right? So it could be 360 reviews from teammates or from your boss. It could be awareness pieces like for myself that I learned from my wife and she's very clearly tells me what I did wrong. So I know I'm aware <laughs> of it, <laughs> right? right? But, but the world teaches us to watch more YouTube videos and, and read more quotes and all this stuff. And it's, it's not bad. I am a huge believer in education and knowledge, but it fails if we don't take intentional actions or what I call disciplines, because we won't lead to growth. So what we learned, if we don't actually apply it in a way that improves us, we're not going to go anywhere. Hmm. So that's the intentional growth formula. It's taking what you've learned, apply things, you're going to grow a little bit and you're going to learn from it. And you're going to now apply the formula all over again. And you're going to accelerate that formula as you accelerate your personal growth. Okay. I was just going to say that that seems to be one of the things that I struggle with is, you know, I'll go to lots and lots of different training programs and it all comes back to actually applying it, right? Doing it. And, and then when I'm working with clients on my other company, which uh, relates back to digital marketing, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, we could do this, we could do this. And like, no, just start, you know, and, and Jeff gave me a book called Start Ugly. And I said, just start ugly, start somewhere, you learn from it, and then you grow from that. And I think so many of us are trying to have the perfect start. Mm -hmm. And wow, that holds us back so much. Yeah, I'm curious. 100%. There's so much to unpack in there, Ryan. How much of the, I think this is going to be on the discipline side, because I'm hearing that discipline is more than just the discipline piece and practices. It includes action. How much of that includes the mindset you talked about, about being willing to take risk and fail mm. and make mistakes? Craig was alluding to it about, you know, the perfect model. Well, I think it goes back to how our, our brains are sort of, made and, and wired, right? There's this theory called the hedonic theory, which says that our brains w are wired to avoid pain and seek mm. pleasure. Yeah. But the challenge is, is by nature, failure is seen as pain and it hurts and it sucks and no one wants to fail, me included. Um, and so I think a part of that is that mindset that you asked about is, is switching that mindset and understanding that failure is not a pain element. It's actually a pleasure seeking element because you get to iterate on it. 
and it gets yeah. you closer to your goals, closer to where you want to be in a year from now and closer to your dreams five years from now. And so really, it's not like hacking your brain. I hate, I hate people talk about that, but it's understanding how it is wired and then changing your idea of what is failure. If you change that, yes. then it's not failure anymore. Right, it's learning. That's it, yes. Which is a positive momentum building thing that our brain wants to do. I'll tell you, most people don't see it that way though. They're like, oh my gosh, I failed. And they'll, they'll dwell on that for months and suck all the life out of their, their you know, what they're doing. Well, and you so how, do you, how do you get people out of it, Craig? Like, what do you do in that spot? Um, that's not really as much of what I do as what Jeff does. Jeff is oh, more okay. of the coach side. But, you know, I mean, with other people that I talk to, when, when I do see somebody going through that, it's, it's just really more of encouragement. I, I come from an encouragement side. Um, so just kind of, I'll, I'll bring the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, a lot of it is the reframe or rewriting the story. Uh, a lot of it is, I, a lot of the work is around words and paying attention to the words. Like I noticed earlier when you were talking about your past, Ryan, you talked about, I had this happen with my business and then I was a failure. Now you pulled back and said, well, I wasn't really a failure, but that's the go-to language. And I'm really careful about language. So for example, this year or in the season of COVID for the first three to maybe two weeks, it took me to catch it after March 17th. That's a pivotal day for me because my business went down dramatically that day. But for two weeks, I was saying my business tanked. I said, that's not true. My cash flow did tank. That was actually true. So why am I saying the business tank? There's nothing wrong with the business, but mm -hmm. it needs to be reinvented. It needs to be innovated. The business has a challenge, but it's not tanked. But the cash flow had tanked. So I was, I'm really careful to, to pay attention to what I'm saying to myself and doing the same with others. Mm. Whatever I say to myself is true. And it was yeah. true when I said it, and then it becomes reinforced when I hear it. Right. When you, when you changed your mindset at that moment, did your, did your physiologically change too? Well, absolutely. Because before it was kind of, if I said it, it would be like, oh, my, my physically, my business is tanked, even if I was smiling. But then it would be, you know what? My cash flow is really tanked. Mm -hmm. But man, I, I got my, put, my pedal down on the business. I got a bunch of new ideas. So I had a ton of energy versus the other language brought me down and was sort of the, oh man. What do yeah, I it was interesting do actually watching Jeff go through that process because he was right. I, I could see the physical changes in him. And then one Saturday he said, hey, Craig, let's do some webinars. I'm like, okay. And we, we came out with this series, got all sorts of – anyway, it was, it was a good thing. So he got into creative mode. So he, he shifted and said, hey, we are where we are. We're going we're gonna to do something about it. I think it ties back to what you talk about baseball, right? If you got struck out with the bases loaded – you know, and then you have your next step bat and a chance to win the game again, right? You, you get up, you get over it and you figure it out what the pitcher threw you and then you get through it. And that's probably, you know, a little bit on your background, Jeff, with baseball helped you get through that, it seems like. Oh, absolutely. I wish I had been as good at it now or then as I am now, but I was pretty <laughs> good at it. I had a pretty good mental mindset and, and mental tools. I don't know that I would have put it in the words of presence back then. I would now to say that thing that, you know, if I'm sitting there pitching, because I was a pitcher, if I'm pitching to a guy and last time up, you know, he hit a double and drove in a run off of me. If I'm thinking about that other than learning, saying, okay, last time he hit a fastball up and in, probably don't want to do that again, or maybe I do. 
because he doesn't think I'm going to do it. But I'm in the, I'm in this moment mm -hmm. game versus carrying around the fear of what happened before. Now, how and much I of that think, came from? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, how much of that came from listening to your dad as a professional pitcher, and and him telling you about that and training you into that versus you figuring that out yourself? I'd have to say I learned a lot from being around him. That was, mm -hmm. you know, a gift of being around someone who talked about it all the time. Because uh, I will say I was not the most talented pitcher, but I was a very smart pitcher. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to pitch and I knew how the mental game. Uh, and the other thing, interestingly enough, that you ask is, the player who I most emulated other than my dad, in fact, they emulated this person more than my dad, he was more famous, uh, who just passed away was Tom Seaver. And mm -hmm. Tom Seaver is, is, is known for a guy for his mental toughness, his mental acuity, his study of the game, his mm -hmm. mental mindset. He did all those things. Even if I wasn't talking to him, I could see that intensity. And that intensity to me was just that, He's in the moment right now. That's, and that's why I think people now say, Jeff, you're so intense. I think I come across intense when I'm present. Yes, he's very focused on the other, on the other person. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. I'm really curious, Ryan, when you talk about the intentional day, and I'm guessing there's the intentional growth model and then the intentional day, maybe that's how we, how we go into the day with, with the mindset of, hey, I'm going to make this what I want it to be. And I love that perspective. So is that what that is? Or maybe tell me nuances. Yeah, the intentional growth formula is, is the base, is the foundation of everything. And the intentional day is the book that I wrote that is, has four elements of growth, but a key of it is being intentional every single day. What are the little disciplines or a topic now is called habits. What are those little things I'm going to do each day to help propel me to become the person I want to become or to hit the goal I want to hit? And so the intentional day wraps around the formula that it's based on, but, it's a, but the bare bones of it is, what am I going to do today to be more intentional? Hmm. So that's interesting, Ryan. I was curious where you were going with that because what I just heard you say was, these are the things I'm going to do in order to be more intentional. And does that get fed? The things I do get fed by the intention itself or is the, you hear what I'm saying? Or are the actions, the proof of my intention? Mm. Uh, the, the action is where it's all out. It's the, it's the walking it out. It's the building of a habit. Have you guys had anybody on your show talks about how habits are formed? Uh, we have. touched on the edges, but not dead on. So okay. Let right me, in there. Well, I'm not a neuroscience. Bring Let me it. just give you that, but I, <laughs> but I studied it. And so I studied how a habit's actually created. And so really the reality of it, it starts in your prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain that actually is the critical thought. And so what it means is like when you're thinking about what you want to do that day, that thinking is happening in your prefrontal cortex. And then what happens is a message is then sent and, and through a neural pathway to an area in the middle of your brain called the striatum. Now, the striatum's job is just to perform the behavior. That's it. 
So the prefrontal corset sends the message, it goes to striatum, the striatum performs that behavior, and then dopamine is given back to you, which makes you feel good. And so that is that, that cycle, cue behavior, reward is another way that, that, that people talk about it. And so the reality is that the more times you do that, the more times the prefrontal cortex sends the message down that neural pathway, the wider that neural pathway becomes, and the easier it is for that message to get to the striatum. Over time, that dopamine striatum cycle doesn't need the prefrontal cortex anymore. And at that moment, that is what a habit is. And so for, yeah, so that's how a habit is created. And so when we think about daily disciplines, it really starts with us writing down and thinking about where do we want to be intentional this week? And what do I need to do today to do that? So we are triggering the prefrontal cortex to send that message. Over time, as we stop to have to think about it anymore, we have now built that discipline. And now what I call it's time to level up the next one. So we take it off our list and we add something new on. And that is like a stair step. It's a momentum building leveling up of who we are as a person so that we're good enough to achieve our goals to become the people we want to become. So it sounds like we're going from unconscious incompetence into conscious competence into unconscious competence. And if we're moving through that, that model, I, I hear some people, you know, like when I first started setting goals, it'd be like, okay, I'm going to do these, these 10 things and I'm going to be super Craig. Right. And I got none of them done. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now I've come back to the say of saying, okay, I'm going to do one thing and do it well. You know, that's, yeah, I'm only going to learn one big thing at a time mm-hmm. and, and go through that. So then I spent three years learning pottery, had my own show, haven't touched it since right? Because I moved on to other creative pursuits and things. And so, I don't know. So, I see it that way. But you tell me, when you're looking at trying to create the goals, if if you kind of set up too many things, does that get in the way? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Our brain, we're human. And so, the reality is, is that here's the stats. So, everyone talks about smart goals and goal setting. What statistics will tell you, only 8% of people who set goals actually achieve them. Eight. Wow. 92 do not. And the reason is because goals focus solely on the outcome. Did or Mm. I did not get there, not on the process it takes and what you need to do and what responsibility you have to develop yourself into somebody who's going to achieve that goal. Goal setting is important, but not by itself. And so what I teach in the book is there's four stages of growth. One is dreaming, right? You want to have that expansion of your mind, especially for people who are not as creative. It's a little harder. You want to push yourself and then set goals to those dreams. And once you have the goals, like I said, 92% of people will not hit those. And so what we need to do is then we need to take it and we actually need to create daily disciplines around those goals. And to answer your question, Craig, is I really say focus your goals down to just three. Uh, there's too many. It's too hard for us to pay attention to. It's too much mental load. And again, our minds are going to avoid the pain and that seems hard. So let's break it down, build momentum, gain pleasure as we start to get some wins and start to walk out some of these daily disciplines we need to do. Mm-hmm. The last part of growth is really important. And it's called the growth partner. Um, and what the science will tell us about this is that if you set a goal by yourself, obviously you're 8% people achieve it. If you set a goal, and share it with somebody with just one person one time, yeah. that increases to 65%, which is still pretty wow. good. Yeah. But if you set the goal, you have recurring conversations with somebody about that goal, and you continue this over time, your statistics go from 65% all the way up 
to 95% success rate. Wow. That's exactly the way we've mastered or created Cardavera to have the membership where we have that intentional engagement with, oh. with other people in the community so that, so we do get that success rate. Wow. That's great well, to hear. Me, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to write this note down to you, Craig. Let me send you the research study on that. Okay. So you awesome. guys, can, you guys can use it if people ask you. Oh, okay. That's great. And if it's, is it posted? Cause if so, we can put it in the show notes for this. Uh, it is online website. somewhere. It's probably on the NIH. <laughs> Okay. It's probably on the NIH's website, but I'll get the link to the. Right. So how much would you say in there, you know, it's like when I go back to one of my uh, big heroes, Zig Ziglar, he said, you got to be before you can do and do before you can have. In other words, you got to be the kind of person who is going to do the kind of things that get you what you want. And so a lot of people don't focus on the being side. They focus on the doing side. And then they get derailed because they don't become the kind of person who does the stuff. <laughs> so how much, how much of that is mindset? How much of that is uh, character development? I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, I don't know. Are those kind of in, intertwined? Like I, I'm not sure the, the answer to your question now. That That's a really philosophical question. <laughs> I don't think I have enough <laughs> wisdom in my, my life to answer quite yet. Um, yeah. but there is a piece of that is, is before people always want to go do and do and do. And, and one of my struggles I have with people I, I help and I coach are like, you got to pause and we yes. got to go dream. And we you got to celebrate. And we got to celebrate. You got to celebrate wins and you got to celebrate along the way. Like we need to pause and it's built into the model. One pause beginning to understand where do you even want to go, yeah. right? You want to be a, a hundred million dollar real estate agent. That's incredible. And you also want to have a really good family life. <laughs> they may not go together because all your Saturdays are showing houses. Right. Right. So let's start with like, what do we actually want to do? What do we actually want to dream about? So that's one piece. And then like you alluded to Craig, like celebrating each and every single week with their growth partner. And yeah. it's a, it's another psychology thing called savoring. And what the science will tell us too, is that when we share something positive or good with somebody else, our mind will savor that win again. Mm -hmm. Like we just got it. And so like for Jeff and Jeff and the example with your dad, like if your dad came home and shared a great pitching performance you had, right. He will feel that win actually twice. Oh, wow. So it's oh, really important great. to share that. And so as part of your, uh, you know, company's culture and all that is, is sharing these wins because it helps people feel the win again, which gains momentum, oh. which propels people to again, seek more pleasure, avoid the pain. So, so Ryan, I have a question about that, but I want to make sure we have the whole foundation. You've referenced four major elements of intentional growth. You talked about dreaming. What are those four? I want to make sure I've yeah. captured them for the audience. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I was bouncing around. It's dreaming, goal setting, creating daily disciplines, and growth partners. I had, I had two out of the three out of four. Awesome. <laughs> So I do want to ask, go back to your question. When you were responding to Craig about the different elements and the sharing, how often have you run into this challenge? I know I have personally. I, I wrote an article a few years ago about how important it is to find someone in your life that it's safe to share wins with. Because I had some friends in my life who would they say, how are things going? And some really great things that happened say, oh my God. 
I can't believe this has happened. I just got this big engagement. I just got this big uh, speaking gig. And at the end, someone who was pretty close to me said, wow, really sounds like you're bragging. Oh. And I went, and I really went, never again. I'm never coming to you with this again. But it made me think how many other people struggle with it. And as I reached out, a lot of people said they did, that they didn't have a place and people in their lives where it was safe to celebrate. Wow. I think that's actually more of a norm, Jeff, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I've experienced this myself and, it, and it's painful. Um, but I think that's also, again, we don't talk about, we talk about failure, but in a different route, right? We, we learned, okay, that's not my person, right? You still did okay, Jeff. Like you were trying to celebrate wins with somebody who didn't, who was not, had enough self-assurance or confidence to be able to handle that. And it probably is telling you that, hey, I've kind of leveled up my friendships here that I need to probably be more seek out and be more intentional with the people I'm associating with and who are, as I would term, the growth partners or who are the people that's safe for me to celebrate wins with. And I would love it if they celebrate their wins with me too. Well, I know that's been certainly something that's been a great feature of like my mastermind groups, like my speaker mastermind group. That's something that's on the agenda when each person goes, tell us some great things. We're inviting it and, and we're saying this is the place to bring it because I think, I think you're right. I think it actually is the norm because people are so much into this competitive thinking. If you had a great win, now I'm going to feel bad about myself. So basically you made me feel bad by saying that. And so I think it is about, to me, it's another example of intentionality and being thoughtful about what we're trying to create in the people in our lives. Yeah. And, and to add on to that, I think the inverse is also true, right? And, and at least in the startup world is where I will go and ask people, hey, how, you know, how are things going? Everything's great, right? Every startup is wonderful. Every startup is growing like crazy. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's really weird because a lot of them fail and like, yeah. this is odd. And I, yeah, my, kid, think, my kids love cat food. It's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I've been part Goldfish of seven flavors. startups. I understand exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah, right? I mean, it just, it's just the culture of it. And again, I think it comes down – to having the right people to share wins and losses, but also yeah. being, you know, having the authenticity of yourself and have the confidence in yourself to be able to share, you know what, it's not really going well. My cash flow kind of tanked and I'm trying yeah. to figure out how to get out of there. And I'm trying to figure out this strategy and this is where I'm trying to go and have an authentic conversation with somebody. I think as men in America, we're lacking that. I, well, wow. So, so true. I think I can look back at some of the business failures I've had and, I would say that those probably happened because I never reached out to somebody and asked for help because there were certainly times when I, I knew that I was in over my head or that something was going awry and I could have gotten guidance about how to work with a partner differently or something like that, you know, whatever it was, but I never really had somebody, a mentor that I could really open up to on that. So, wow. Never thought about it that way. Ryan, we're getting up against time a little bit, but I want to ask you a question. Something you said earlier that I want to make sure the audience has clarity on what you said. You were talking about the neuroscience and you talked about the role of dopamine. And dopamine, if some people don't know, dopamine is the happy drug. (laughs) Whatever gives me dopamine, I'm generally going to want to keep doing because I like it. It's the runner's high. but, But here's the thing about it, though. Dopamine... Because I think one of the challenges of goals and changes is delayed gratification, especially if you're looking at the end goal. You know, if I want to get in better shape and I want to lose 30 pounds, 
if I do it in a good way, it's going to take me a while to get there. So if my only gratification comes at 30 pounds, I'm likely to quit because I'm not getting gratification. So here's the neuroscience question. Is the dopamine, does the dope, do I get the dopamine hit because I achieved a short-term objective or did, do I get the dopamine, which is encourages me to get the short-term successes? That makes sense? Like which comes kind of a chicken and the egg question because you talked about the dopamine, but where does that come in the process that I get those hits? Hmm. So from my understanding and from my research, the dopamine comes at the end as a reward for doing that behavior. And so I'm not sure I answer your question directly. No, that makes sense, though. It makes sense yeah. to Craig's point about the runner's high because most people who go out and start running do not get a runner's high the first time, the second time, <laughs> no. even the first month. I don't know that I ever the, have. Well, but some people do. <laughs> they don't start with the runner's high. They've got to do things and get in those disciplines. And then once they get there, like, oh, my God, this is awesome. That makes sense to me because I don't know how you – unless – unless you were also somehow shifting their mindset. So like you said, I don't see um, the, the fail, so-called failure as pain. I see it as learning, and I love to learn, and therefore I get a high from learning. To build on to that exact example, right, we're, we're referencing getting a runner's high from running, you know, 5K or something like that, but the reality is, is that that only happens in random times where we're, where we're setting a goal won't get us there because outcome-based what we need to understand is the way our mind's wired. And so for us to put our tennis shoes on and run, whether that be five minutes, because we can't run very well, or even get outside to walk or run a mile, that is the reward. That's the behavior we're trying to do. And that's yes. the reward we get. And so those little tiny, we call tiny habits, those little tiny things are, are actually what's getting the little dopamine kicks. We're not gonna get the big runners high, but we're also getting a little bit of dopamine kick as we get in and build the behavior and build the disciplines and habits that we do exercise. Mm-hmm. And we're going to increase the length that we run and we're going to do all that. But the reality is, is did we actually put our shoes on and go outside <laughs> and did we, did we reach that thing? And that's the actual, the win we should be celebrating. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a conversation I had with my father, Mr. Competitive a number many years ago. Now he had a stroke at a fairly young age it was more, more extreme than I even knew until years later because I wasn't there around him. And he decided to go run a half marathon after his stroke in Arizona somewhere. Oh, my god! I remember, I remember talking to him afterwards. I mean, he trained and things for it, and, but I talked to him about it, and I said, how'd it go today? And he, and he said he was down. You could tell he was down. And he said, man, I, I, you know, I didn't run the whole way. I, there were some times I actually walked. <laughs> and I said, Dad, I have only, but I said, Dad, I only have two questions for you. He said, What's that? And I said, Did you start? <laughs> yes. Did you finish? <laughs> yes. I said, That sounds like a great day to me. And he laughed. Yeah. He yes. said, yeah I should have known you would say that. I said, But did you hear me? Did you hear me? He said, Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Wow. That's a, such a good reminder. <laughs> So Ryan, wow. as we wrap up, you know, you've talked a lot about goals. I guess I always want to make sure someone has an opportunity to put a bow on it. Is there a piece you haven't shared about goal achievement, about intentional growth mindset, that that golden nugget that people need to hear as an additional takeaway from you? I think, I don't think there's anything to add to that conversation. The, the one thing I think that I would love to share with your audience is just that it's okay wherever you're at. 
Mm. Today is the time to start. It's completely <laughs> comfortable wherever you're at. And the reality is, is where do you want to go and what little things do you need to do to get there? And it could yeah. be as simple as like, I sat up and I tied my shoes. And maybe I didn't go run today, but my goal today was to tie my shoes to put my tennis shoes on. <laughs> and just wherever you're at is okay. Wow, that's so good. We, we oftentimes expect so much of ourselves and sometimes we just need to give ourselves grace and say, okay, I'm choosing to do this for the long term rather than just do a sprint. So this has been fantastic, Ryan, as I knew it would be. So can you give our audience, we'll put all this, all the links and things in the show notes, but anything in particular you want to promo? I know you've got your book and how do people get in touch with Ryan Bennett if they want to learn and do more and achieve yeah. more? And achieve be more, more intentional. Yeah. yeah, you can hit me on the website, theintentionalday.com. And on there have a program for individuals as well as business leaders and teams. And then also on Instagram, I put a lot of my stuff on Instagram, ryan.performancecoach on Instagram. Hmm. And where do they find your book on your website? Is that right? They, yeah, you can find the book on the website or it's on Amazon as well. Okay, fantastic. Okay. Awesome. So we always wrap up with a couple questions, Ryan. And for you, speaking of books, what's that book that speaks to you most loudly about leadership and making a difference? Mm. It's a great question. I'm a big fan of books. So it was, it's hard to figure out the one that really I love, but I think it comes down to winning or wooden on leadership. And it's the book by John Wooden about how he led his basketball team um, I think in a short way, it scratched a lot of my itches. He was, a, he was in sports and college sports. And also he always never really focused on the outcome, but always on how do we become better every single day? And what do I need to focus on today to be the best possible person I can be? And that resonates with what I'm teaching, obviously. And so I love that book. Such a good book. I remember that book well. And I remember one line from that book. I actually remember a line from the book that John Wooden spoke to um, Bill Walton, and the line was, the team's going to miss you. <laughs> and that was when Bill Walton chose not to shave over a holiday, and that was not permitted. And he argued vociferously as to why he should be allowed to keep his beard or mustache <laughs> and, and wouldn't listen and very calmly said, the team's going to miss you, and walked away. And Bill went wow. in and shaved his face. There was, there was oh, no, no it. and it was, there was no anger. There was no yelling. It was clarity <laughs> of expectations and holding that boundary. It was awesome. Yeah. Wow. And I know, I know a lot of your audience is business professionals. And so it's a really good business book, actually. It teaches business philosophies and business leadership principles, but based on good stories and just from a really wise old man. So that's yes. why I really like it for this. That's incredible. Awesome. That's great. So the last one, last question for you, Ryan, is you talked about having your growth partners, which probably touches on this, but who's a leadership model for you in your life or has been and why were they such a good leadership model? Yeah, I think it comes down to one of my mentors. Um, his name's Harry Campbell. And I said I was a founding team member of a startup the second time, Well, he was our main investor. So he was one of the founding team members. And, um, and, and a, the reason why it resonated with me and, and like why I look up to him was that for the first time I realized that you can be a great, fantastic leader of people who people want to follow and love and yet still be really competitive and really direct and really hyperactive. And I love that model. 
Because, awesome. you know, you think about it, growing up, you think about leaders and, and what you see on TV and what you read about it, like dictatorship and all this stuff. And it's like, no, you can be nice, but you can still win. And that's yeah. why it resonated a lot with me. Oh, that's so good. Love it. Well, thank wow. you, Ryan. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for bringing your wisdom to all our guests and to Craig and I. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was my pleasure, guys. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.